Hey, I'm Robert Pearson, and this is Follow the Leader. We're doing another Blue Collar Bible Scholar installment where the goal is to take you from absolute Bible zero, know nothing, just became a Christian yesterday, what is Bible? All the way to checking your pastor's footnotes in the middle of the sermon on your phone, respectfully and quietly. But uh, you should know. And so in the reason for that, too, I, I like to continue to repeat and keep at the forefront, you're the only one who's going to be responsible for your salvation and your, your knowledge, your relationship with Jesus. It's on you, bud. And that requires knowing what your Bible says. Uh, when you get there before Jesus, you can't go, Well, my pastor said... Well, our denomination's doctrinal stance is... Nope, it's you. It's all on you. And that's that's a little bit of a big deal. Don't stress out over it. Um, God knows what you don't know. And uh, he's not going to hold you to a unrealistic standard, because that would be silly. Uh, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, you know, do not say to God, I don't know. Uh, the Lord knows and takes that into account. I'll put the reference down below, because I hate referencing stuff without having the numbers for it. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it's in there. And I'll, I'll have the numbers down below to prove that it's in there. So, we're doing today the book of Exodus, and just going to go through the books of the Bible, one at a time, uh, at least at least one of them a week. Uh, Lord willing, I might start doing one Old Testament and one New Testament a week. We'll see how it goes. So, um, I looked a lot of this stuff up on my lunch break to make sure I had the, the proper dates and some of the names and stuff. Um, but uh, errors can happen, so uh, check my homework. Correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. Uh, the dating for the Exodus, I personally hold to an earlier, uh, later date rather, earlier in time. Uh, so on an older, older date. I don't know, the oh, other car's driving around. So I, I hold to the date that is the oldest one. At uh, 1446 B.C., that's the one that makes the most sense when you assume that the Bible is historically accurate. And when you take the Bible to be a historically accurate document and then look at Egyptian chronology, a lot of things start to line up and paint a very plausible picture for the Exodus at an early date of around 1446 B.C. This is not the consensus of even um, scholars that do believe the Bible is historically accurate. Um, one of the earliest uh, one of the earliest pharaohs to be proposed uh, back when we had less knowledge about Egyptian uh, chronology and stuff, uh, one of the first proposed pharaohs was Ramses. Uh, that gives you an exodus of the uh, 1200s, 1300s. I didn't bother memorizing those because I think they're wrong. Uh, but that's why Ramses is the name of the pharaoh in every single exodus movie. All of them. Uh, they always put it as Ramses II, and it's as basically as late as you can get in the Egyptian dynasties and still say, well, yeah, we believe an exodus happened where they walk across a sea of reeds and uh, the entire biblical account is, is essentially a farce. Now, 
the uh, so Pharaoh under uh, at 1446 BC is Thutmose the third. Uh, depending on so, uh, I'll, I'll do a brief aside. Um, now I'll get into the exact pharaohs later, but the dating is 1446 BC. That's the Exodus, and so it's a question of whether or not Moses wrote Exodus. Well, he would have written it after Exodus. I suppose prophetically he could have written it before, but then it gets weird and unnecessary, and it's never stated. Um, so it's it's presumed he wrote this when they're wandering in the wilderness after after they left Egypt. So it'll be any sometime after 1446. They're wandering the desert for 40 years, so somewhere between 1406 and 1446 BC, because BC counts backwards. It starts at zero and counts backwards to we don't know when. And then it counts forward from zero to our time. Uh, but yeah, BC counts backwards. And uh, the Common Era, before Common Era garbage, is utter garbage. They just didn't like having Jesus as the focal point, so a bunch of secular humanist morons changed the name. But they didn't actually change the dating structure. They don't have a plausible reason for why Common Era and before Common Era. What is the Common Era? What does that even mean? Those words are meaningless. So they didn't rejigger the dates around some significant secular event. They just changed it because they didn't like calling it Jesus. But you don't have, seem to have a problem with Thor's Day or Wotan's Day or Freya's Day or Tyr's Day or Saturn's Day. That's weird that you're only uncomfortable with Christian things. As if deep down in your heart you know that that one's real. And you're going to have to answer for it. Eddie, that's a massive side note. Anyway, so I'm going to get back into the, the thing, but those are the dates for when it's written uh, written by Moses. We, I assume Moses is the biblical author because I assume that the Gospels are correct. That's why I follow Jesus. Uh, if you don't think the Gospels are correct, what are you doing here? Uh, you basically just read Socrates, but with a little Jewish flavor. Uh, you've, you've got no business caring about Jesus or salvation or sin and death go away. Uh, if you do believe that Jesus is the risen Son of God, the only reason you do that is because you believe what he says and that he came back from the dead and the New Testament is historically accurate. In that case, Jesus himself speaks and uh, specifically names several times Moses as the author of the Pentateuch. Uh, names Isaiah as the author of Isaiah. He holds the traditional the Jewish traditional authors of the Old Testament as those are the people that wrote them accurate to their time and copied, you know, by copyists. So it's not that explicit about it, but he just cites it as, this is accurate, as Moses said, and then he quotes some passage out of uh, Deuteronomy. So apparently Jesus hadn't read the JDEP theory. It's okay, he didn't know any better. Um, or he's the risen son of God and he knows better than you. But that's that's all you got, bud. You can't just uh, uh, you can't just pick and choose willy nilly. Either the New Testament is historically accurate to what Jesus said and did, and then you have to now follow Jesus. And hey, uh, it seems like the risen Son of God knows a thing or two, or or not. So if not, don't worry about this whole Christianity thing. Go live your life um, hedonistically because all you've got waiting for you is a empty black void. So, Exodus, we start off in the book of Exodus with Joseph. So we pick off right at the end of 
Genesis. Exodus is the sequel, and uh, it means a great leaving or departing. Once again, all these books are named after their Greek names for the, the Hebrew book. And Joseph <clears throat> is the reason that the Israelites are in Egypt. Um, he was uh, providentially risen to power just below the Pharaoh himself and running the kingdom, practically uh, running the kingdom as, as Pharaoh. And Pharaoh just kicked back and was like, ah, he's got it handled. And so there was a big famine in the land of like the whole area. Egypt were the only people that wisely stockpiled food. So when uh, Jacob and his family, Israel, then at the time, the name Jacob's name was changed to Israel after a wrestling match with God himself, he comes down to Egypt with his whole family. Uh, there's a little bit of drama. Everything works out cool. They're chill. The book of Genesis ends with the death of Israel. Right? The guy, not the nation. Now, they are hanging out in Israel, doing their thing. They're in the land of Goshen. That's the northern part of Israel. Uh, for Egyptians, sheep were unclean animals. They didn't like them. They hated sheep. Uh, the Israelites had tons of sheep. They're like, ah, sheep are the best. What's, what's your deal, bud? So this part of, of, is, of Egypt is, was perfect for sheep. And so the Egyptians didn't exactly want it, and Joseph sets them up in Goshen and um, asks the Pharaoh, he's like, hey, can you set my family up in Goshen? He's like, yeah, sure. That's perfect for sheep, and we, we don't like them, so just keep them away from us, or we're good. So his family moves in, and uh, they multiply because God said he would bless them. And uh, the way God blesses you, and he gives you lots of kids. Because children are a blessing, an inheritance from the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a strong man, blessed is he whose quiver is full. Psalm 127. So, in, uh, in the land of Goshen, they're hanging out, they're thriving, they're doing great. And time passes, like it does. And then Pharaoh, because uh, they're all Pharaoh, that's the name, it's the title for the office, like you could say, the President of America. And you don't have to say a name. Everybody knows who you're talking about, even though that guy changes every so often. So Pharaoh, um, which is just the king of Egypt, it's whoever's in charge, uh, they go through some regime changes. They don't vote on it. People just kind of die of old age or, you know, assassination. And uh, or uh, possibly warfare, depending on the date of this Pharaoh. There might have been an invasion at the time. Uh, but anyway, we get enough generations past Joseph that... Nobody remembers who Joseph was or how cool the Israelites are for, you know, saving your nation. Because uh, Joseph was definitely the reason that Egypt survived that, that terrible famine, as uh, coming out as well as they did. So, this, uh, this pharaoh shows up, and he, he looks at it, and he's like, we have an immigration problem. Uh, there are a lot of these Jews, and I can't, I can't do it. What if they team up with some other country? What if we get invaded again? Because uh, this is likely right after the Hyksos invasion. You can Google some of these names. I'll, I'll try and put the accurate spellings down below if you're curious. You can go down the rabbit hole on them. I'm, I'm not going to try and get too sidetracked. 
uh, unless I'm talking about how important it is to read your Bible for yourself, or that liberal scholarship is uh, full of a bunch of secular humanist crocs. So, <clears throat> this guy starts looking around, and he's like, we have a lot of these Jews, and uh, they might team up with an invading army and destroy us from within, and I don't, I don't like it, we're not doing it. So he starts oppressing the, the Israelites, and puts them as, starts making them work as slaves. And making them build stuff, and making them make bricks to build things. And they, they become slave labor. And he begins oppressing them and oppressing them. Well, certain things happen uh, when you're doing nothing but smashing uh, mud and carrying big heavy bricks all day. As a blue collar guy, I happen to know this firsthand, you get ripped. And so these ripped guys are coming home tired every night to their wives in an area where there's no television or contraceptives. And then the Egyptians get confused why there are more Israelites, and he didn't seem to solve the problem. I don't know what to tell you, bud. Uh, rich people just don't understand how the working class operates. It'll be their downfall. So, uh, this guy keeps having that problem, and then he starts saying, all right, and he goes to these Egyptian midwives and says, I need you to start uh, killing babies. Uh, if there's a man that comes out, kill it. And uh, they said, oh, okay, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a thing we'll do. Sure. They, uh, needless to say, don't. And when the, when the Pharaoh calls them out on it, they're just like, oh, well, you know, these, these Egyptian, these, these are like women's are, are tough and hardy, man. They, uh, just keep, they, they have the kid before we get there. They just pop them out. Pharaoh gets upset. And uh, he's like, well, all right. And he orders the soldiers to start killing the Egyptian kids. Or the, the Israeli kids, sorry. I got, I was checking the time and I'm trying to make sure I don't miss turns and stuff. Because I'm driving while doing this. Back into it. So, being upset that the midwives aren't doing what he asked them to, or, you know, if he, if he bought their, their line about the uh, Israeli women having the kids before they get there, because it, it's not specifically the, uh, the midwives fear the Lord, and they didn't do that horrible thing that they were told to do. The, the, the Pharaoh sends soldiers out to murder the, uh, the first, uh, any male children that he can find in the Israelites, and he does it. And it's, it's a terrible slaughter. Now, it's at this time that the, uh, this Israelite woman just happens to have a son, and she hides him, because you would, because kids are happening no matter what. They're, they're happening. So they, they've got to keep him hidden, and eventually he gets to an age where they, she just can't hide him anymore. He's just too noisy. And uh, it's starting to be a, a problem. So she comes up with a plan and trusts the Lord. And the Bible's a little vague here. It just says what she does. It doesn't give you her internal like motivations for, uh, for what she was doing. 
so what they uh, what she does is uh, so she this could have been planned because uh, it's a big Nile and the fact that Moses just happens to wind up where the Pharaoh's daughter was bathing is a little convenient so either the hand of God made it happen which is totally fine obviously God intervenes and does a lot of stuff cool or she was a little sly and kind of strategic about how she sent her kid out, which is still a huge risk because they might kill your baby anyway or your baby could drown. Because what she did was she stuck her child in a basket that she waterproofed with tar to make a uh, to make a tiny boat for the baby. She uh, she sends the baby out into the, the Nile to just kind of go, well, Lord, watch over my kid. Now, she might have been sly. The Bible presents it as though she just sent her kid out and uh, hope for the best. Her daughter, uh, Miriam, follows it. This is the only name I remember off the top of my head. I, I think they give the name of his mom, too. I just don't remember it right now. Oh, nope. That car is going faster than I thought it was. The... Uh, Miriam is following her little brother down the river. And lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter's bathing, whether by providence or by the mother's shrewdness, we will not know. But uh, God touches the uh, Pharaoh's daughter's heart as all women's hearts touch when they look at a baby. She made that sound that all women make when they see a baby. Aww. And she picks him up. And she's like, I would like to have this baby. And so she does. She takes him and she's like, this is my kid now. And I'm going to call him Moses because I took him from the water. And Miriam pops up out of the bushes and is like, hey, lady, I, I know an Israelite woman who... Uh, could uh, help you out uh, nursing that, that kid, if you'd like. And uh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter says, that's rather convenient. Thank you. Go ahead. And so she goes in and gets her mom, who now gets to act as a wet nurse for Pharaoh's kid. And if you're not sure what a wet nurse is, go ahead and Google it. You'll be all right. So uh, Moses is actually raised by his mom until he's weaned. And, which is like six sometimes, depending on the, the culture, um, as old as six. So his early childhood, he is, spends time with his mom, um, uh, hearing stories and stuff, and then he goes off to live in Pharaoh's palace. Uh, there's, a there's a secondary account we have um, where, inspired by the Holy Spirit and with whatever extra historical knowledge that was had at the time that has since been lost to us. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, lays out a history of the Israelite people, and he has a big section on Moses in there, where he gives details that we don't have from any other source. Uh, which, you know, I, I would encourage you to go read, because uh, it's a great summary, too, of just Old Testament history. Uh, it's, it's pretty Moses-heavy. And... Uh, so it gives you some of the thoughts and internal motivations of the, the people that you don't get from Exodus, but maybe was oral tradition at the time, or inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or other texts that got lost when Alexandria burned, or just the sands of time. 
So as as we're going through the uh, through this, Moses grows up in the house of uh, Pharaoh. He gets educated in all the ways. He's a really smart kid. He gets a, a full ride scholarship in the uh, you know EU Egyptian University, Egypt University, I guess. The University of Egypt, U of E sounds better. So <coughs> he gets a good deal, and uh, he's one day he's walking around, and uh, they never quite include this, but he's forty, and he sees a uh, uh, Egyptian slave master beating an Israelite, and he rolls up, looks both ways, and straight up murders the guy, and just stashes the body in the sand. He comes out the next day, and two Israelites are fighting together, and he says, what are you guys doing? You're, you're brothers. Knock it off. And they immediately turn to him and say, what, are you going to murder us too? Well, it's at this point, Moses gets a little, little creeped out, because he thought what he did was a secret. So he realized the secret's out. So the man's going to come looking for him. So he splits, crosses the whole desert, winds up in the land of Midian, which is on the opposite side of the Sinai Peninsula, if you're looking at a map. Uh, the, the Red Sea comes up, makes a little V-shape on the Sinai Peninsula. It looks like a little upside-down triangle. And uh, to the right side of that V is the land of Midian. You'll have the back of any Bible. You'll, you'll be able to see it. And so Moses is hanging out. He's a shepherd for 40 years. And then when he's 80, he sees the burning bush. And God says, hey, Moses, I, I got a job. Uh, it's just like a little errand. It'll be real quick. I need you to go pick something up for me. I need you to go to Egypt and lead all of my people out. Can you do that? That'd be great. Thanks. So uh, it takes a little convincing, but Moses does it and uh, heads back to Egypt. And now butts head with Pharaoh and they they argue and bicker and they've got the the famous 10 plagues of Egypt uh, that, you know, Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, well, all right. And then Moses is like, yes. And then Pharaoh's like, nah, I'm not going to let him go. And Moses says, well, have a plague. And Pharaoh goes, okay, okay, end the plague. I'll let him go. And he's like, okay, fine. And then Pharaoh's like, ah, psych, you're so gullible. And Moses is like, then have another plague. Uh, To which Pharaoh feigns cooperation. They do this ten times. And uh, uh, there's a little fun tidbit about the the plagues if if you're not familiar with so finally, Pharaoh relents. The very last plague was just awful. Uh, God has sent some just desserts, uh, having killed all of the Egyptian or all of the Israelite men, uh, children, babies. Having killed all of the Israelite babies, God then kills the firstborn of all of the Egyptians. Just leveling the the score, but. Uh, the moral, moral ramifications of that are for you to struggle with as you're reading about God. But he is a God of love and justice. And uh, you just have to accept that. And uh, the um, if you ever heard the song in church, For his love endures forever, keep us safe, we will carry on. Anyway, his love endures forever. That's taken directly from a psalm. Uh, I, f- I forget which psalm it is. Uh, it's in the 100 block. It's, it's past 100 in Psalms. It's uh, it's in there a ways. And it's, it says, His loving kindness is everlasting. And they, the song follows the psalm almost one for one, line for line. And the song stops right before it says, For he has slain the firstborn of all of the Egyptians. His loving kindness is everlasting. 
I, I know it would it would put a damper on the church vibe on Sunday morning, but I think it would also be important to remember the full nature of God. We only want mercy and we don't want justice, but God is a God of justice and of laws. And uh, there are consequences for violating those laws. It's important to remember that. Uh, what is mercy? What is what has mercy saved you from? You need you need to appreciate both. Uh, if you don't appreciate drowning, you're not quite as grateful for somebody pulls you up out of the water. All right, so Pharaoh finally relents. He lets him go, and he's just like, "Get out of here! I'm I'm done. This sucks." Uh, they leave. And then you have the big epic scene where Moses is like, ah, no, you know what? No, no. And he takes his whole army out and he's just going to slaughter all these men, women, and children in the desert. Um, here I've got a little bias coming through. The Sea of Reeds, garbage. Um, all of the other explanations, garbage. Uh, there's a cool little video that is concise called Exodus Revealed. Some of the details that they propose or some of the pieces of evidence they show are a little shady. Uh, but geographically, this works out the best. Um, uh, you're going to look at uh, Sinai in Arabia, I think is a, a YouTube video, that some big YouTube thing that came out recently, re-sharing a lot of the information that was in a, an older documentary, Exodus Revealed. And they have, they have some new stuff. They got some new drone footage. They snuck into uh, Saudi Arabia to, to kind of show some of the stuff off. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but they uh, the Sinai Peninsula looks like a V. And there are two gulfs of the Red Sea. One is the Gulf of Aqaba, and the other one's the Gulf of, I don't remember because it's not important, it's the wrong one. The Gulf of Aqaba is the one on the right, farther away. Because you'll notice they cross the Red Sea into the land of Midian. The land of Midian is not in the Sinai Peninsula. It's all the way over on the right, the right side of that, that V. So they go into the desert, across the trade route that goes from the top of the V, to, from the left side of the V to the right side of the V, from the tops. Because why would you wander into that wilderness where nothing's at? Nobody lives there. There are no wells. Uh, there are no cities. I mean, there are now, kind of, but it's still really sparse. Almost nobody lives there. Um, you've got two oceans that don't really lead to a whole lot. No natural occurring rivers that much. Uh, it's just a lot of mountains and nothing. So they go on the trade route, and then God says, turn off into the wilderness. And they start wandering in the wilderness, and it's that report Pharaoh's like, hey, they just wandered off in the wilderness. He's like, they're trapped. I'm going to murder all of them. Forget this noise. So he rides out, and now they're trapped between two oceans, and so they, they travel some of the ravines down and wind up at a little outlet, and you can see this on Google Maps, if you look at the Gulf of Aqaba, there's a little outlet that leads right to the, uh, the Gulf of Aqaba, right to the water's edge, uh, with big cliffs on each side. And uh, so Ferry's army rolls up, God parts the waters, they go across, God keeps the waters apart, and then Pharaoh's army goes in, and then he collapses the waters and drowns all of Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh gets his butt kicked back home, uh, full of shame, and the Israelites are freed with a crazy story that in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, and we we're seen as an image of baptism. Um, I only just today, thinking about this, had the mind-blowing epiphany. I've grown up in the church. I've heard the story a million times. I know Moses' name means from the water. I've never connected his name with the Exodus event of God taking his people through or from the water and Moses' name being Moses. That blew my mind earlier this morning. Uh, so, now they're in the wilderness, in the land of Midian. The book of Exodus, we're only 15 chapters in right now. 
They sing a great song about it. It's awesome. That's where the movie Prince of Egypt ends. That's only half of the book of Exodus. The entire rest of the book of Exodus is them being in the wilderness, getting the Ten Commandments, and then making the tabernacle. The book of Exodus is like 40 chapters long. We're not even halfway through yet. But everybody thinks this is the whole story of Exodus. Clearly, Moses thought it was way more important that now that you're there in the wilderness, here's what's going on. So now, God, uh, the focus on the narrative starts with Joseph, and then we're focusing on Moses, and then we focus on the interplay between Moses and Pharaoh, and now that the Israelites are in the wilderness, the focus is on God and how Moses and the Israelites relate to him. And uh, some of the biggest events then that happen are manna, like the first thing that happens after they're done singing about how awesome God is for like the, the next chapter or two is manna. God provides manna for the first time because there are a bunch of whiny ingrates that said, you brought us down here to starve. Where? Every parent knows that exact thing. I'm hungry. Lunch is coming 20 minutes later now because you asked again. Right? So God is just like, fine, here's manna. Boom. You're, you're welcome. Uh, there's another, pa- I don't know if it says here, but in other uh, passages, it specifies that the manna tastes like cake, uh, which is pretty awesome. The, it, not only is it just manna, like mystical bread from heaven of what is it? Manna means what is it in, uh, in Hebrew? They're just like, what? I don't know. This is awesome. Uh, it tastes like cake. That's cool. Uh, so then they go to, they finally make it to Mount Sinai. Uh, Jethro shows up and he's like, hey man, what's up? That's uh, Moses's father-in-law. As he was in the land of Midian, he married uh, a girl named Zipporah. He's got a father-in-law. They've Jethro. The guy's pretty smart, and he has Moses set up a series of judges um, where he's like, look, just set a guy over the guy. So, you know, you've got one for every ten, and then one for every hundred, and then one for every thousand. Just kind of scale up that way. That way you're not having to deal with everybody's problems all the time. Only the problems that haven't got dealt with after a couple of guys come to you. So Moses wound up being like a one-man Supreme Court. Uh, Jethro was pretty slick at that. Um, and then, at Mount Sinai, we're in chapter 20 now, five chapters later, the Ten Commandments finally show up the first time. The Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. Moses is on the mountain. He gets, uh, by the finger of God, written these Ten Commandments. And Moses comes back down the mountains holding the tablets. And they already made a golden calf. And he's pissed, and he breaks the tablets, and he burns the calf, and he puts the ash in the water and makes him drink it. And he's like, there, morons. And then he feels a little stupid because he just broke something that God made with his own hands. And he's got to make new tablets and go back on the mountain to have have, uh, the Ten Commandments again. And it's a whole lot of fun. And then the biggest portion of it is spent making the tabernacle and having the specifications on exactly what the tabernacle would be made out of, how it would look, the size of things. And uh, so with that, we're going to get into some of the detail, because that's it, that's where it ends, is they build the tabernacle, they uh, sanctify it with the first sacrifice ever, and the Spirit of the Lord descends and fills it with this huge, heavy smoke, and the priests have to, like, leave. They can't even can't even be in there anymore, the, the presence of the Lord is so heavy on that place. Um, also, right, we have uh, the people of Israel, God is leading them as a fire during the day and uh, cloud by night. Um, and it actually holds off the Egyptians himself for all of the Israelites to cross the, the Red Sea and then go. Um, oh, that's another bit about the Gulf of Aqaba. Is there, everything is a 
jagged rocky cliffs on either side of both gulfs, except for that one spot in the Gulf of Aqaba that happens to lead from the Sinai Peninsula to what is the historical land of Midian. Um, and it's a big sandy um, beach head. Like the, the beach just goes down, and the sand runoff builds this little sand bridge that's uh, about 300 feet down or something, 300 feet uh, under the water that goes all the way to the other side. So you could have a footpath if the water was low enough. Um, so either God lowered it or pushed the water back as a wall, uh, but it's, it, went, it moved, and it moved fast enough to drown a bunch of Egyptians and uh, scare the daylights out of them. Because they died. So the uh, oh, and then there's a there's a bunch of signs and stuff. They've got a split rock with water coming out of it. It's another uh, big thing. God provides them food and water almost instantly on the the other side of the the as soon as they get into the wilderness proper in the land of Midian uh, before Sinai. And right next door to it, you've got a mountain charred black on top that's traditionally held to be a mountain of Moses. If you talk to the the local tribes and stuff, everybody go like, oh yeah, that's Moses Mountain. Yeah, that's the one from the Bible, the exact mountain. The one charred black on top. Forever. Because God descended on the top of a mountain as a fire. Don't... No, the Bible's a lie. So, what happened is... uh, So, I'm going to hit some of the highlights now of the big things that people like to argue about. Obviously, there's the dating, whether it was late or early or... I I hold to the earlier date. Uh, The possible pharaohs are uh, the third... Uh, which is the most common conservative uh, date. The other one you could, um, Amenhotep, and is uh, could be another one depending on how the dates are, because the way that you date pharaohs is it's guesses stacked on top of more guesses. Um, and there's been no end of scholars having their own attempt to rejigger the dates or to come up with their own dates entirely and, or make slight changes to somebody else's dates. It's, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess the more you dig. Uh, but if you look at the conservative stuff, everything sits pretty cleanly. Having um, Joseph's tomb actually be this unknown tomb in the land of Goshen that's had the name stripped off of it. Uh, I can't imagine how they would have felt about the Israelites right after they left. Um, so, uh, do that what you will. It's, it's totally Joseph's tomb. And uh, there's, there's no body in it. They took Joseph's remains to the promised land, uh, as he had, he had asked after he died. Um, so, <clears throat> so there's, you can argue all day about the pharaohs. Uh, there's some cool stuff if you look just at which pharaohs were not succeeded by a firstborn son. Um, I forget how the dates would have to be rejiggered for these guys to be the pharaohs of the ex- Exodus, but there's a, there's a guy named Akhenaten who, out of nowhere tries to force the entirety of Egypt to be monotheist. And he's almost immediately thrown out of power and his name is scrubbed off of everything. Um, Which is weird, because he wasn't the firstborn. So, I mean, I can only imagine if you saw your older brother die because he defied the one Israelite God after all of your gods were systematically humiliated by this one Israelite God. I can imagine... I can imagine you'd get pretty pretty jazzed about let's just follow this one guy, dude. And it was the uh, it was the priest class that kind of worked to subvert and overthrow that that pharaoh. Uh, but I forget the dates don't exactly work out. But it's it's a huge quagmire. Um, the traditional dates though, it's going to put it squarely at uh, Tutmos the third or maybe Amenhotep, uh, Amenhotep or whatever. I'm probably saying them all wrong, and I don't care. Uh, so 
Um, the the other one of the other issues that come up as you're reading is free will. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. He calls it before anything. He says, "I'm going to send you Moses to Pharaoh to get my people out, and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so I can punish all of Egypt, and I can punish Pharaoh, and he's not going to let my people go until I want him to." And so now there's a huge question of free will because God kind of like exactly actually usurped Pharaoh's free will and just does it. And so then the question is, is that just God's standard operating procedure all the time? Or was this a special event? Or do we understand that, you know, because two or three times it said Pharaoh hardened his own heart that, oh, we'll ignore all this stuff where God calls it beforehand. He says, I'm going to. Uh, well, you know, God just hardened what was already there. I, I don't know. And uh, neither does anyone else. Uh, but these are the things you have to grapple with once you decide to become a Christian. The Bible is the true and accurate word of God. That's why you're a Christian. Uh, Jesus saves you from sin and death, right? Well, he holds these things to be true and historically accurate in the way that he, he talks about the Old Testament. So, then the issue and understanding is you need to increase your understanding. Maybe we just don't understand uh, God or something. Like, if this causes you a problem, though, um, you just got to butt your head up against it until it starts to make some semblance of sense. Um, there will be some verses that fit. It depends a lot. It largely depends on where you come down on free will. Uh, I, I hold that mankind has free will, and so I just see this as an exception. And uh, God had a purpose for it, also to punish the Egyptians for their behavior. God has a history of dealing with nations uh, as, as though they were individual people, where he will punish a nation for collective sins of that nation. Uh, that's exactly what happens when the Israelites go into the uh, promised land as they kick out all of the Hittites and stuff because they were a bunch of terrible, awful people. Not because the Israelites were so great or chosen, but rather the Hittites were terrible. Um, also, he was uh, eradicating the line of the Anakim pretty systematically with the line of Moses. Um, Naked Bible Podcast, if you want to just get in the weeds for all the, the mind trip stuff on uh, some of the deeper, confusing things. Michael, Dr. Michael Heiser, anything he's done, Unseen Realms, all kinds of cool stuff. It's just, it's really deep into the weeds. So I would caution you to have a solid operational knowledge of basic Greek and Hebrew and some of the, the deeper Bible histories that go on outside of stuff, because uh, it's not for beginners, just because it's confusing. And um, his voice isn't particularly engaging, so it's hard to pay attention to unless you know what he's talking about, and you're just farming what he's saying for information. Uh, it's, it's, stay, it's hard to get, stay engaged if you're having to go, wait, what's that word mean? What, what's that word mean? Who's that random Egyptian name he just threw out? Oh, what's that entire civilization I've never heard of before? Uh, if you're doing that, it's hard to follow and it's difficult. But uh, if you're if you're interested and you're hungry, it's awesome. He he holds to more of the secular scholarship of how things are dated for the uh, the Old Testament. He believes in multiple revisers and redactors and stuff, but he still believes it's the inspired word of God. And I I've heard him explain it a hundred times. I still don't understand how he comes out with those two, but he does. Um, so it's good stuff. Naked Bible Podcast, it's awesome. And he's got a bunch of books and stuff. Just find him on Naked Bible Podcast. Um, and then you'll, you can find his other stuff from there. It's a good deal. Um, there's another thing in Hebrews. There's a, so much time spent on the tabernacle. You're like, why? There's a real tabernacle in heaven. 
that functions just like the tabernacle, apparently. Um, in Hebrews chapter 9, there's a lot of time spent on how Jesus went as our high priest and offered his own blood on the one true tabernacle in heaven, not made with hands, uh, as, as uh, the, the payment for our sins as Christians. And it's amazing. Um, so that's in Hebrews 9, and it, it, you kind of get a hint at it in Exodus chapter 25, verse 9, right as you're getting into the, uh, the tabernacle description. Uh, God says, I need you to build this tabernacle according to what I show you, implying that either he's going to give him a vision or he's going to show Moses the real deal and say, measure exactly this, and that's what they're going to build. Um, there's a quick blue-collar plug. A lot of times it's mentioned as the tabernacle's being built that, you know, uh, rely on so-and-so. They'll be mentioned by name. Uh, and the skill with which I will give them for this. God refers to working men who use their hands to make stuff and says they have skill that I have given them to do. Um, and there's one part, there's a perfume, there's a, there's a perfume, as an instance for the tabernacle. And God says, here are the exact ingredients. And uh, I think he might give the amounts a little bit, but he doesn't give the details on how to make it. He says, make it according to the craft of perfumers, which is their craft. And he's like, look, the trade of making perfume, trust those guys to do it right. Uh, but here are the ingredients, and I need this many parts of this, and one part of that, and two parts of this other thing. Um, but they, they know how to put it together, all right? They're so like divinely inspired craftsmen. Yeah. Um, and then there's a fun detail, and this will be the last thing that I go into, uh, on the plagues. Uh, the, all, every single plague was targeted at an individual deity or a group of deities in the Egyptian pantheon. And he just... He just trounced him. He just buried him in shame. Uh, the first thing, he turns an out of the blood, right? And so... There were just piles of Egyptian gods about the Nile, from the Nile. It's the, the lifeblood of Ra or Horus or whatever. Um, and the first thing he does, he turns it to blood because he feels like it. Uh, the next thing he does is just covers them in frogs. They have a frog god, of all things. Uh, and he's just like, yeah, frogs. How's your frog god doing? No? Okay. Well, uh, how about lice that uh, come up out of the earth and afflict you? You have an earth god, right? Yeah. That guy sucks. Oh, let's cover you with flies and gnats. Oh, you have a god of flies? I, I didn't even notice because you're covered in flies now. He doesn't seem to uh, exist. Oh, you have a god of cattle? That's cool. All of your cows died. Good luck with that. Oh, do you have a god of healing? Because your entire nation has boils and sores. How, is, your, is your healing god helping you? Because I don't... I don't see it. Oh, do you do you have a god of the sky? That's nice. How about hailstones? Burning hailstones falling from the sky on you all of the time. Do your, your sky god help? I guess not. I guess not. Oh, you have a, a god specifically for protecting you from locusts? Because you're just getting overwhelmed with locusts right now. And it, it doesn't look like your your god exists. Oh, do you have a god of the sun? Is it a big deal for you? That's cool. I'm going to black out the sun. Just for you. Just in your part of the country. Not in the land of Goshen. Just your little corner of things is dark now. 
Because your sun god sucks. And then the final attack. Pharaoh was seen as a god himself. And the last plague killing the firstborn of all the Egyptians. Pharaoh couldn't protect them. He couldn't keep them safe. Pharaoh's own firstborn son, which is a huge deal, died at the hands of the foreign god. Who then, all of the Israelites proceed to ask their neighbors and loot Egypt. They roll out of town with a bunch of gold, flipping everybody the bird as they casually moonwalk out across an ocean or a sea. Part of a sea, a gulf. Um... They, they left Egypt in ruins. That was That's my talking outline. So, that's all I got for you today. That's awesome. Uh, read the book of Exodus. It's some pretty good stuff. It gets a little dry when they're talking about the, uh, the, uh, the size and shape of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and stuff. Uh, so, it's definitely worth looking up a picture of the Ark of the Covenant and uh, some diagrams and maps of the tabernacle. Just Google images. It's everywhere. And... Uh, and have those to look at while you're reading the description of the tabernacle. It helps you get your mind right about what they're talking about as, as you read down through it. And some of the details are fairly significant. Um, but I'm not going to get into it now. Uh, just know that it's out there. Dig down that rabbit hole. And that's all I've got today. Once again, don't take my word for it. I'll see you next time. Godspeed.